Welcome to the Taking the Lead podcast, where we empower people to be unstoppable. I'm Christina Hepner with my co-host, Leslie Hoskin, while Timothy is out joining a nice little vacation. So it's just me and Leslie today. Um, but Leslie, we have such a fun event coming up literally next week. Oh my gosh. It's happening so quickly, but I am so excited because we're going to be back in person after being virtual. Yes. And, and this is your first one, right, Christina? Yes. It's Dinner in the Dark. I didn't say the name of the event yet. Um, <laughs> Dinner in the Dark. So it's our biggest fundraising event of the year. It's held in downtown Detroit at the MGM Grand, if you know what that is. And it's my first one. I've never been before. So I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm attending as, I'm, well, I'm obviously helping out, but Leslie, we're both attending as attendees as well. We're going to stay for the whole program. Yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah. No, because there's so many things to do. So a lot of times people don't understand what a whole fundraiser is, but there's so much more than just the dinner. So when guests arrive, we have different activities available. One of those being the walk the walk experience, which, you know, for, I'm super excited about because it's all about the cake. So we're giving people an opportunity to check out the long white chain, do a little bit of a walk under Plankfold experience, and just learn a little bit more about what orientation and mobility is. And that's just one piece um, of the puzzle as people are entering in. But there's other things going on too. Yeah. I'm excited just to see it all. I mean, I've been helping out a little bit behind the scenes in the planning process. Um, so it's cool to see how it how everything comes together behind the scenes. So I'm excited to see how it's all going to come together that night. Um, and I'm excited just to see so many people um, supporting Leader Dog. It's cool to me. Um, not over, We're going to have some clients there, but not only our clients, but our donors, our supporters, our volunteers. There's. It just seems like everyone's so excited for this event, especially to be in person. Um I know last year, when I was here last year for it, but it was all virtual. So it was very different. I sat at home and was like monitoring it, um, <laughs> like social media wise and all of that, like literally at home. So it was very different. <laughs> um, but I know people are so yeah. excited to be in person. So that's coming up so fast. Yes. And on a personal note, well, I can't remember. Is this going to be the first time that Johnny and Brian, my husband, get to meet? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh my god. So gosh. that'll be kind of fun too, because I feel like we both talk about them so much. They probably yeah. feel like they also know each other a little bit, <laughs> right? Uh, gonna... So that'll be fun to introduce them. Yes. Yeah. No, that will be fun. But a lot of people come, so not only like team members, but like you were mentioning, it's so it's just such a fun event. And then it's at the MGM Grand, so people can go and hang out afterwards. So I'm looking forward to working it, but of course also, yeah, sitting down and enjoying the meal. Yeah. I'm excited for the experience. I've, you know, at Leader Dog, um, as a team member, you get to go through and do, you know, the blindfolded white cane walk and you get to do a blindfold walk with a guide dog, but I've never had the experience to eat under a blindfold. So I'm excited to see what that is going to be like as well. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We certainly cannot wait. And if you haven't already, check it out at leaderdogs.org. Um, and of course, we'll recap after the event, tell everybody how it was. But today we are super excited because we have a wonderful guest who is a little newer to Leader Dog, uh, but lost his vision in 2020 and is now out working with his first Leader Dog week. 
Kellen Van Seitfeld is a composer and digital accessibility specialist based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He graduated summa cum laude in music from Princeton in 2019 and studied at the Royal College of Music in London and did graduate work in cello performance and music composition at the University of Michigan. Kelvin currently works at Moore Canvas Consulting, where he assists clients with implementing accessible digital practices. Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you here. Um, of course, the first question is going to be if you can tell, mind telling us a little bit about your vision loss. Yeah, so in 2020, maybe a month or two after lockdown started, I uh, was sort of out and about one afternoon and noticed it, uh, that I wasn't able to see out of a portion of my uh, of my left eye, and um, uh, you know, and it didn't it didn't go away the next day, and I, I ended up um, going to you know ophthalmologist, and they didn't really have any answers, um, uh, and and it persisted, and I guess got a little bit worse, um, and then um, you know I had more tests done, and still uh, wasn't terribly conclusive, and. Uh, and the, the best diagnosis that they could give me didn't seem terribly plausible. Um, uh, and then um, I returned to <clears throat> returned to school at the University of Michigan in the in the fall. So it you know uh, I don't know four months had passed or so, and I started to have <clears throat> trouble just um, you know seeing in general. I started to have <clears throat> a little bit of anxiety driving my car because I couldn't see as well. Um, you know, uh, you know, to pull out of a driveway, like I couldn't see if cars were coming and, and I couldn't, uh, um, I was having trouble like reading music and, 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 um, that was really challenging, you know, going to rehearsals and, 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 you know, playing cello very poorly <laughs> because I couldn't really see what was going on. Um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I, because I didn't really have a diagnosis, didn't know what was happening, it was really difficult to talk about. So yeah, it was, it was a, I think a, a difficult period, but. Um, you know, thankfully after seeing, I don't know, uh, you know, I think it was like seven doctors, I, um, finally, uh, you know, received the diagnosis that I had, um, labor's hereditary optic neuropathy, uh, which is a mitochondrial disease. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, as, as the name would suggest, it is hereditary. You know, I, um, I was, I was born with it, but it wasn't sort of activated until I was, I guess, 23 or so. Um, and, um, and uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, some, some relatives of mine also have it, but we, we weren't, um, you know, really in, in touch with them a whole lot. So we didn't know about it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, um, yeah, now I'm, uh, you know, at a point where I, I don't have any central vision, but I do have peripheral vision. So, um, um, you, you know, I think there are, uh, you know, certain, certain tasks are, are kind of impossible for me, you know, like, like, you know, reading text or, or seeing faces, you know, things, things that are a little bit more, um, detail oriented, but, um, <clears throat> in terms of being oriented in an environment, um, uh, you know, I, you know, still have peripheral vision. So, um, you know, there, there are certain things that, um, you know, there's, you know, certain environments in which I maybe don't come across as, as, uh, visually impaired as much. Um, it just kind of, yeah, depends a little bit, but, um, wow. yeah, so. So that is a lot. 2020 was kind of the year of the pandemic as well. And you find, you said seven doctors. That is a journey to just find a diagnosis. Yeah. And it's, it's been interesting as well, you know, to kind of connect with, 
uh, you know, online with other uh, people with this disease. And, and it's a pretty common story, even, you know, uh, in different countries and, you know, different age groups. It's, it, most of the time it takes, it takes a really long time for anyone to kind of figure out what's going on because um, even though it's, I mean, I think in the blind community, you know, I think most people have met someone with LA2N. It's not, you know, a terribly uncommon way to, to lose one's sight, but I think, it, it, you know, in terms of the broader population, it is, you know, quite rare. Um, uh, so... <laughs> And so the vision loss, it sounds like, happens quite quickly. So you kind of started noticing it, and then it progressed rather fast. But about how long would you say was it when you started noticing the vision loss to being diagnosed legally blind? Yeah, so I think for, for me, and, and there is some variation within, you know, my disease, you know, like when it happens, um, how quickly it happens. Like I've heard as quickly as one day someone went from, you know, 2020 to 20 over 800. I mean, that's pretty drastic. For me, it was... Um, uh, um, it was, yeah, I think it was like February or April, no, I think it was April of 2020 that I started losing vision, my left eye. And then it was, I think October, beginning of October, I was admitted to the hospital and it was like, it was like, basically like, <laughs> you're not leaving until we figure out what's going on. Um, uh, and that was right around when I kind of went into like legal blind blindness and I, I continued to lose a little bit of vision beyond that. So I, I don't know, I guess it was, yeah like half a year or so. Wow. That is pretty fast. Because I know yeah. with other like hereditary things as well, sometimes it's a long time, but that's pretty fast. And so, you know, you, that happened in 2020, but you just came to Leader Dog not too long ago. So how did you find out about Leader Dog and, um, you know, what made you want to get a guide dog? So a family friend had had heard of Leader Dog through some convoluted, <laughs> uh, you know, story. And, and so we checked it out online. And, and of course, we, you know, looked at some of the other guide dog schools that, that exist. But I, I think we were, I think we, uh, yeah, I, I really liked the promotional material. It just seemed to have a, you know, there seemed to be a really wonderful, you know, uh, sort of, <laughs> I guess, it's a good vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, <laughs> we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I like, you know, I, I'm, um, you know, I've lived most of my life in Michigan and I like the idea of, you know, staying a little bit more local. Um, it seems, seemed, seemed cool to me. Um, uh, so, but yeah, ultimately, you know, when I, when I went, I mean, I, uh, it, it was just such an amazing experience. Oh, oh, but sorry. Oh, the, <laughs> the other question was, um, oh, what, uh, prompted me to, uh, you know, pursue getting a guide dog. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, I didn't grow up with dogs. I, 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 I like before getting wake, I wouldn't describe myself as like a dog person. I, I, I didn't dislike dogs. I was kind of like, oh yeah, dogs are cool. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, didn't have some, you know, especially strong affinity for, for dogs. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think what I noticed is, uh, in, in the first year or so of going blind, um, the blind people I was meeting who had guide dogs seemed to be doing really well. And I still can't fully explain why that is like, you know, um, because I think there, in, in some ways, there is more hassle associated with having a guide dog, right? Like you, you have to take care of that dog and you have to always be thinking about what the dog needs. And, you know, so there's a, there's a, there's a commitment of time and, and effort to, you know, you know, over, over a cane, which, you know, maintaining a cane is, you know, it's just like, it's just a stick, right? It's really straightforward. And yet I just noticed that a lot of the people I was meeting who had guide dogs and, you know, and were blind, like they, they seem to be just, I, I kind of looked up to them and they, they seem to do, be doing really cool stuff and, and, and have a lot more confidence. And, 
um, than, um, yeah, than maybe some of the other people's meetings. So I, um, I don't know, for me, I, it, it was just, it was kind of like, I, I, I didn't fully understand what was going on there, but it just seemed to be, there seemed to be a little bit of a pattern there. Well, I'm curious to back it up a little bit. So before you got Wake and he's the leader dog, there's so many steps in between it. It seems like it did happen quite quickly. So realize you're legally flying now or you've been that you're, you're flying. How did you even know to find services or like what services did you get? Like how did that very first kind of research go or who told you what's a deck? Because that's one of the biggest things that you're for clients is that, you know, they're diagnosed legally blind and they have no idea what to do where to go. What was that process like for you? How did you figure out those next steps? Yeah. Um, so um, one of the things that happened was that um, uh, one of one of my doctors at the Kellogg um, Eye Center at, at, um, at Michigan Medicine did put me in touch with like, a, you know, like a vision rehabilitation therapy center. Um, and I think that definitely kicked off some things, you know, in terms of you know, starting to think about assistive technology. And um, uh, so that that definitely helped. I, I also happen to have a second cousin who's um, blind from birth uh, from a, an unrelated um, uh, condition. And um, that was really helpful to, like I started learning Braille within maybe three months of going blind. And, and she also helped me get started on, um, on using screen readers so, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like I was, you know, got pretty lucky in that there were, um, yeah, people in my life who were able to, uh, you know, speak to what resources are out there um, and, and how to, yeah, get connected with, um, you know, government resources as well. Because, um, you know, LeaderDog has, you know, wonderful um, orientation mobility or, you know, white cane program, but, um, I, um, which I, I, I think I initially applied for, but, um, because of lockdown and stuff, I ended up being able to get it more quickly, um, just because it was 2020 or 2021 and things were really wild. Um, <laughs> I ended up getting it through the state, um, uh, like at my house, um, um, pretty quickly. Um, so that, that ended up working out, um, really nicely. Um, so I don't know, I, I think I got kind of got, um, lucky in some ways in that, like, um, uh, you know, Michigan had, you know, a certain amount of resources and uh, that, that did become available to me in terms of like learning, um, skills of blindness. And, and I also, um, you know, was related to someone who had, had been through this whole journey and has mastered all these skills. Yeah, that is so good to hear that you had someone who had gone through it themselves to help you because a lot of times, you know, sometimes when clients come to campus, that's the first time they are meeting somebody else with a vision impairment. So that's great. Um, so, you know, you said you weren't really, a do you like dogs, but you, you never had a dog growing up. So what's it been like to work with Wake? What's it been like to have a dog? Oh, it's, it's amazing. I really did not know what to expect coming in. Um, and, and in some ways I think that's good because I think having a guide dog is really, really different to having a pet dog. Um, and, uh, um, so I didn't really have any preconceived notions of like how to interact. Um, because yeah, I, I think, you know, I think to have a guide dog who's, who's really doing great work, you have to think really specifically about how you're interacting with them and, um, whether or not you're setting a, you know, a good or a bad precedent, in terms of, um, 
Yeah, and it, it, they're training. I mean, they're suchly, you know, they're they're like such uh, highly trained animals. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think I, you know, I had such wonderful instruction um, from Kevin Erke, and you know, I felt you know pretty equipped to you know to take on all that stuff. But yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, uh, I guess like I think one of the things that really surprised me was the way that um, how intuitive a lot of this is to to my dog Wake. Like he isn't a machine, and it's such a good thing, right? Like he um, will be in an environment that he's never been in, and um, he'll he'll just be able to understand the difference between a driveway and an intersection. Or, or like, you know, we'll be going, uh, walking on the beach or hiking. And yeah, I mean, it's, he's not trained or like, it's not possible to train him to recognize every possible, you know, problematic feature that, that we could run into. But he just has a general sense of like, oh, I think if, if, uh, <laughs> if Calvin walks into this, he's going to get hurt. Right. Like, so I, I think he's kept me like incredibly safe. So, Kevin, I find that so interesting, and I love that you said that, that Wake isn't a machine, because one of the things that we get asked all the time is, like, you know, are we worried about basically losing our jobs or that they're not being a need for guide dogs? Because with all the technology and robotics and things like that, people are always saying, like, what if there isn't a need? But I think what you just said right there is that there will always be a need, right? These dogs aren't machines. They're so intuitive. They're making choices on their own with their own brains. Um, to decide what to do in certain situations. And of course, we know the companionship on top of that, you know, a robot's never going to do that. But I love that you said that because I swear, I was just asked that question last week at a technology conference of, well, when will robot dogs basically take over for guide dogs? And you're here saying that's not an option. <laughs> and and one of the, the funny things that I totally didn't anticipate is just like, and didn't think about it. it's like dogs have incredible senses of smell and that actually comes into play occasionally like uh, my grandparents had moved into a retirement home and wake and i had never been had never seen their place we'd never been there and um but we but wake had met my grandparents uh, a number of times and so we're walking down the corridor in this uh you know retirement home and he suddenly just like pulls over to a door and it, <laughs> it turned out to be where my grandparents had just moved in wow um, and, you know, just stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think he, he's just very intuitive and he's, uh, you know, and, and has a sense of like, oh, I, I, I bet this is what, like, Calvin is trying to do. He's trying yeah. to hang out with his grandparents and I smell his grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's so cool to hear different stories like that. Um, Calvin, I want to talk a bit about, because you're a musician, what is that like for you, you know, now having Wake with you and how has um, that changed for you? Yeah, and this is something that you know every guide dog's going to be different. Um, and I know that Kevin had worked to find a, a dog for me that did have a really high tolerance for noise. And yeah, Wake. I mean, we've been to um, you know big cities, and and I, I even did a <laughs> a week long drum intensive where a jazz drumming intensive where everyone's drumming and it's super loud. Um, and Wake did not care. He, he, he just really, he's really great about noise, which is, is, is great. Cause I, I do, you know, um, as a musician, like, yeah, occasionally have some, some noisy environments and there's, there's no way to kind of get around it. Um, so he happens to be extremely good about that. And, um, yeah, I don't think he really, um, 
I, I don't think he really cares if there's music on or not. I don't know that he's a, um, you know, uh, like a big music lover or something. I think he just doesn't <laughs> yeah. really care, which is great. Like he'll just, he'll take a nap next to, you know, next to a drum set and, and just not care. Like, it's, he's amazing like that. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, he's, yeah, we're, we're well matched in that way. Yeah. And that's amazing for you. Cause, uh, you went to Princeton in 2019. So that was before your vision loss. So what was it like for you to transition, you know, to still be a musician after, you know, you were noticed you were losing your vision? Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if there's, um, you know, some way for me to be a, a professional musician with vision loss. I mean, being a professional musician is always hard, regardless of kind of what your, you know, what obstacles are in your way. I mean, it's just a really competitive industry and there aren't a whole lot of, um, jobs. So, um, uh, yeah, I, what I did run into losing my vision is that I, I couldn't read music anymore, which in some musical disciplines doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, uh, you know, um, and obviously, you know, um, you know, like Stevie Wonder, or, I mean, there, there have been really, really successful and even in the classical tradition too, there have been some really successful musicians who are blind, but I think based on what like little neck of the woods I was in, in classical music, which is doing a lot of, um, you know, um, you know, composing, but also, um, you know, playing cello and a lot of it is, you know, you have to learn music really quickly. Sometimes you have to sight read. And um, I, I think that isn't something that, uh, you know, that there's, um, there's not a clear way for someone who can't read music to participate in um, the exact activities I was doing, but that's not to say, I don't know, I've, I've continued to make music. So like I've been working on, on, um, on, on drumming. I've, I've been having a lot of fun playing drum set in various contexts and um, uh, you know, I'm not anything close to um, uh, you know, where I would hope to be in terms of skill, but it's been a lot of fun just to um, uh, continue to perform. And, um, but yeah. And, and thankfully, I mean, I, I you know, as much as I love music, I do have a lot of other interests and, um, and I think it's, um, I think it's, I don't know, I've come to peace with the fact that I think my life is going to have chapters and they might be pretty different. You know, um, I, I really enjoyed, you know, spending all of my time doing music and that was really great. Um, uh, and right now I'm doing, yeah, some, yeah, a lot less music, but I'm, I'm still having a, a wonderful time and focusing on different interests. You not only are focused on your music, you've got Leader Dog Wake, but do you mind telling us a little bit about your job? What is it you do and how cool and all that is? Yeah, so I, I work at More Canvas Consulting and um, I, I'm an accessibility consultant. So I um, I work with clients, in, um, especially on their websites, but sometimes, you know, also with their social media or with their, you know, document sharing practices internally um, and, and newsletters and things like that, you know, how to make sure that, um, uh, that, you know, companies are communicating in the digital space accessibly, um, um, so that, you know, people with various, um, disabilities and impairments and, um, and even people who have maybe a little bit different technology, like, you know, maybe they're on an older device or slower internet, things like that, um, that they're able to participate, um, and, um, and be on equal footing, um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's, you know, definitely not something I ever, um, had, it, it wasn't something that had crossed my mind really before I lose my sight. I didn't know what a screen reader was until, <laughs> until I was blind. Um, and, um, uh, so and I, I do think it's from that perspective, I think it's kind of interesting working in accessibility because, uh, like at, at some level, I can't be too frustrated when people 
um, in, in ignorance mess something up um, in terms of accessibility because like, like I didn't know the first thing about accessibility and I, and I, I could have like there, you know, I could have <laughs> put in just like a little bit of time before going blind <laughs> and just having and have a sense of, oh, here's how, you know, people with, you know, this type of impairment, you know, interact with, you know, this type of, um, uh, you know, digital environment. Um, uh, so I, I, I think, um, yeah, um, it's, it's nice to be kind of an ambassador, but yeah, maybe one who, uh, yeah, can, can speak to both the experience of being very frustrated with um, inaccessible digital, uh, uh, you know, uh, practices, but then also, um, you know, kind of knowing that it's very easy to be ignorant of the genuine needs of communities. Absolutely. You know, and I wouldn't feel guilty about that because I would say that's the majority of the world, right? Unless you need to know something or going out of your way or you know somebody with a disability, most times you're not looking in, into, you know, how does somebody who's blind or visually impaired use their computer? It's just not going to be the top of your thought. Um, but I think that's really cool that you've gotten into that and you're now helping other people along the way and making that you know, things accessible to everyone because it is so important and it's something that we all need to strive to do. So I absolutely love that. I want to thank you, Calvin, for showing up and uh, sharing all of your wisdom and your experiences with your music and Wake and, and your work. Um, I think it's absolutely incredible. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Yes. And thank you so much for our listeners to listening to the Taking the Lead podcast. I am Leslie Hoskins with host Christina Hapner. We hope you enjoyed hearing all about all the things Calvin is up to. And please join us next week as we continue to dive into the world of blindness. If you'd like to learn more about applying to Leader Dog for our free services, you can head to leaderdog.org or call us at 888-777-5332. And don't forget, you can reach us at takingthelead@leaderdog.org with any questions or ideas. If you like today's podcast, make sure to hit subscribe and check us out wherever podcasts stream. This season of the Taking the Lead podcast is brought to you by a longtime supporter of Leader Dog, the Mary P. Dolciani Halloran Foundation. As you may know, generous donors like this one make it possible to achieve our mission. The Mary P. Dolciani Halloran Foundation supports the study of mathematics and mathematics education. For more information about our generous sponsor, visit their website at www.dolcianihalloranfoundation.org.